Welcome to the Rancher's Voice, presented by the Montana Stocker Association. I'm Jay Bodner, MSGA's Executive Vice President. And I'm Rayleigh Honeycutt, Director of Natural Resources. Join us for conversations surrounding policy, the legislature, and issues that matter most to ranching families in Montana. Welcome to this week's episode. This week we're moving into the second half of the legislature. So we're going to be seeing a lot of bills that we saw in the first half that have made it through those respective chambers and they're going to be moving into the other chamber. And we're really starting pretty fast and furious with bills already this week and last week. And um, so there seems to be a lot of interest to move the whole legislative process pretty quickly. In addition to that, we also are having a lot of conversations and the legislators are having a lot of conversations dealing with the COVID money that the state of Montana will be receiving out of uh, the CARES Act money. And the number we're hearing is $2.8 billion that the state of Montana will receive over the next four years. So it's going to be certainly a lot of discussion of how that money gets allocated and gets spent. In addition to that, we're also going to have the new director of Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, uh, Hank Warsek. So we're looking forward to an interview with Hank and um, should be a great podcast. Definitely. Just a reminder, remember to subscribe to The Rancher's Voice, follow us on social, make sure to like, share, and comment on each episode. And if you have questions for us, send those to Kenny, K-E-N-I, at mtbeef.org. Yeah, and just um, another just kind of an update. Our board of directors will be in town this week, so the Montana Stock Growers Board of Directors. Uh, we have a couple of days of board meetings, and we also have an opportunity to meet with the governor. Uh, we've set up also meetings with uh, the director of DNRC, Amanda Castor, and we're also bringing in Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Director Hank Warsek into the board, uh, Department of Ag, and then also Department of Livestock, Director Honeycutt. So So we're looking forward to that. We're going to have the board have an opportunity to also meet with a lot of legislators um, on Wednesday night. So it should be a real great week for us as the Montana Stock Grower Association. Yeah, definitely a busy and uh, packed uh, week of hearings and board activities. So let's chat a little bit about what happened last week. Yeah, I'll start off with we had Senate Bill 105. This dealt with... um, Revising the penalties and trespass laws for those that collect um, horn hunting, really, basically, antlers and sheds. And it did include private property on here. So it did increase that those fines potentially for those folks that trespass on private property rights. There was an amendment that really did clarify that it was not only FWP lands, but it included private lands, and it was for those folks that do the horn hunting. So we did support that bill. We think that's a good bill. Um, in addition to that, we had House Bill 505. This was a bill that did generate quite a bit of controversy. Um, it was an effort by FWP and Speaker Wiley Gall to really look at how do we include incentives to really drive some of these elk objective numbers uh, in elk hunting districts to objectives. And it um, would include allowing some landowner sponsor tags for elk. And then from the hunter perspective, it also allowed some bonus bonus points if you were to hunt antlerless elk. Um, so we thought really behind the, the genesis behind that, we thought uh, certainly was moving in the right direction. 
Um, it did get met with a lot of opposition from the hunting groups. And so we do expect uh, a number of amendments for that bill to kind of uh, reconfigure some of the what they looked at from bonus points and the hunting licenses. And so we'll see how that bill does transpire. Additionally, we had a, a House Resolution 7, which is in regards to the St. Mary and Milk River project. Um, as this being a resolution, really this resolution just advocated for the prompt funding of the St. Mary's projects um, and asked for appropriation from the congressional delegation. So that had a lot of support um, in both chambers when it had its hearings and would anticipate that quickly moving through um the floor and getting a vote uh, in this next week. The second bill was uh, House Bill 318, which is in regards to the clarification of the definition of bison and what is wild bison. You've heard us talk about this uh, quite a bit in the past, and this has been a bill that's been uh, heard during session multiple times. But really what it does is makes consistencies in the language between Sections 2, Title 81 of the Livestock Code and Section 3, Title 87 of the FWP Code, and then adds language under what is quote-unquote wild to include never been subject per, to per capita fee before. Um, and so we strongly support this, think it's a great way to clean up the language within both codes, and uh, look forward to seeing this move on. The, the last uh, one that I hit on last week was uh, tax, and that's Senate Bill 159. Uh, this is a bill from Governor Gianforte. It's one of his uh, uh, key priorities for this session, and it is in regards to lowering the personal income tax. Uh, the current bill as it stands is lowering it from a 6.9% income tax to a 6.75% income tax. Um, we are hearing um, after the, the hearing that the committee may be looking to amend this bill to lower it even further, possibly down to 6.5. But there um, is a lot of discussion and calculations on if that will work. So we will be tracking this and continue to look at it and see if it gets amended and um, what that looks like. Yeah, in the House Natural Resources Committee, we had Senate Bill 55. This was a bill that came out of the Water Policy Interim Committee. This dealt with the database that DNRC holds for ownership of water rights. Um, and we want to really make sure that this is accurate, um, it's timely, and it did, And this bill actually did clarify that, put some ensures uh, that this ownership um, should be correct in the geo codes. So um, in addition to that, we had Senate Bill 13, another bill that dealt with water, came out of the Water Policy Committee. This looked at revising a bit the DNRC adjudication benchmark, so it did move out, out those dates a little bit. Um, we still think this is a good bill. We are on track to still move adjudication forward in the state of Montana, and it was also supported by the Senior Water Rights Coalition. So once again, a, a very good bill. Uh, moving on into House Judiciary, we had House Bill 367, and this was a constitutional change that would go to the voters of Montana, and it strengthened the language with using hunting, trapping, fishing as a means to um, manage wildlife in Montana. And there was also some very specific language that it did not impede any private property rights, and it protected private property rights very clearly 
clearly in the bill. So we did support this bill. We think it's a good bill. If it does make it out of committee once again, then that would go to the voters of Montana and they would vote on this constitutional amendment. Senator Mike Lang also had a hearing um, regarding his bill and the uh, makeup of the FWP commission. This bill really did two things. And I should mention there was another bill on the House side that did one of uh, these components as well. So there's kind of two built. There were two bills out there, both moving the number of FWP commissioners from five to seven. Uh, this bill, in addition to doing that, would also require that four of those seats be active landowners. Um, it was heard. Uh, m- Uh, I would say split opposition and proponents. So we will track that and keep watching it as it is in the committee. Lastly, um, on Friday, uh, one of Montana stock growers priority bills did have its second hearing and that is House Bill 554, which is in regards to national heritage areas and historic trail designations. we had a great turnout. We had, uh, I would say, close to 15 folks come in uh, support of the bill, and it was heard in front of the Senate Natural Resources Committee. Again, what this bill does is uh, just say that the state Montana state legislature would have to pass approval before any designation could be made in our state outside of federal lands. Uh, we did work with the sponsor to kind of tighten up that language so that there is an amendment to that bill that just adds the um, wording prior to uh, national designation so that we it is very clear that the process is that you would have to do that prior to getting the national designation. Um, we did see some opposition more than we saw in the first hearing, um, and mostly it was from folks that are working on the Bozeman Trail and uh, people that worry about the trail designation. There is some federal language that they are saying kind of doesn't impact private property rights, but from our standpoint, we feel that any time that any private property rights are kind of put under this umbrella of designation, that needs to be approved by the state legislature. Yeah, once again, it's a very great bill, and it it doesn't simply just prohibit things. It just makes sure that there is a thorough review for the legislature as these potential designations go through. So great bill. Uh, We're really excited about that one. Just kind of looking forward to this week. This week uh, we have starting in House Natural Resources, uh, Senate Joint Resolution 7. And this once again was the resolution to remove the Hidden Pasture Creek uh, from the wilderness study areas. This bill, certainly we have a lot of support for it. We have policy that supports it. And basically this resolution asked for this to be removed out of here. And this, um, actually we had folks from the Dillon area where this area um, rests um, come in and support this resolution too. So um, moving on, we do have in the Senate Ag Committee, we have a couple of bills. We have House Bill 336. This is the interstate comp. Compact, um, cooperative meat compact bill. Uh, this was by Representative Brandon Lear. And so originally we did have opposition to this. There was a lot of opposition from the meat processors. Uh, the bill as originally was drafted would remove the funding for the state program, our state meat inspection program. Um, it would have cost us nearly a little over a million dollars. They did amend that bill. So they changed the contingency of that bill. So there's some provisions before this bill would become effective. And virtually that uh, in our eyes uh, addressed our concerns. So we're no longer in opposition to this bill. Um, 
We do have House Bill, also in Senate Ag, we have House Bill 433. This dealt with brands and brand re-records. This was also brought by Representative Brandon Lear. And this bill does look at putting the Board of Livestock's policy into state law. We do have some concerns with this bill. This bill is, is drafted. Um, it does specifically say the, the current law says that uh, the, or, or the, the policy says that the brand or mark has to be indistinguishable from another mark. And uh, this strikes that language and just puts the word different. So there are a lot of characters that are uh, very similar. So we do have concerns with this specific language. We have met with a sponsor um, and we have met with the Department of Livestock. We're trying to work through some pen, uh, potential amendments with that bill, but as it stands, we are in opposition. In House Agriculture, uh, we will be seeing House Bill 410. This is a new bill that we um, thought maybe was dying and not going to get a hearing early on in the session, but it has come back. And so this is a bill in regards to um, pollinators. And really what it does is it could prohibit um, agri-grazing leases from applying insecticides, which ultimately could also prohibit actually planting of crops unless wheat and barley would be considered, quote, native plants friendly to animal pollinators. So we will be opposing this bill uh, this upcoming week, and it will be interesting um, to be a part of that hearing. Also in the House Ag Committee, Senate Resolution 11, which is regarding the products of the USA labeling this, um, and we've talked about a lot of labeling and placarding bills this session, but this is a resolution just to encourage USDA to only allow beef and pork that was born, raised, and processed within the United States to be labeled product of the USA. Uh, USA beef or USA pork. Um, from an organizational standpoint, MSGA has a, had a long standing of policy and support of this, and we really work very hard to support and preserve that uh, pr protection of USA labels. And then uh, last, we in House Ag uh, will be Senate. Bill 270. And this bill is about uh, setting hay prices on state trust lands. We've talked about this before. Um, our concern, an uh, opposition uh, in the first hearing was in regards to it specifically only identifying certain land offices that could set prices and the billings market was ha, had been left out of that. So this bill has been amended to just say all or land offices encompassing all of those land offices. And so um, our opposition has been removed um, from that bill because of the amendment. Moving on to House Natural Resources, we have Senate Bill 63. This dealt with wind and solar development ground leases on state trust lands. And so what happens, the situation that happens currently is, is if these wind or solar projects come in and there's an existing grazing lease, the state is forced to uh, eliminate that grazing lease and then reissue a license. And so this bill addresses that so uh, we can retain our grazing leases as these um, potential projects come in. And it, certainly those leases are much more valuable than a license for us. So this uh, does address a growing issue that's becoming as more of these projects uh, potentially come online. So uh, we did support this bill. Uh, we think this is a good bill for state grazing lessees. 
Also, uh, in Senate Ag, we have uh, Senate Resolution 87. This deals with some new appointments to the Board of Livestock. So we're excited to announce uh, Jake Fettis from Belgrade uh, for the beef position and then Greg Wichman from Hilger for the sheep position. So um, we'll be in there supporting these two gentlemen and appreciate their efforts for moving forward as a potential confirmation. Um, in addition to that, uh, we also are looking at um, next week some more confirmations for the Fish and Wildlife Commission. And um, the members for, so this is Senate Resolution 88. This is going to be on the 23rd, this hearing is. Um, start off with Leslie Robinson, our um, second vice president for the Montana Stockbroker Association is on this list. We're excited to have Leslie on that list. It also includes Brian Siebel out of Billings, Casey, Casey Walsh out of Martinsdale, and then Pat Tabor out of Whitefish. So um, four certainly capable folks to be on the commission and we'll be supporting those appointments. And to round out the week, we have Senate Bill 29, which is the weather modification bill. Uh, again, we've kind of hit this a couple different times because it's moved around to a couple different committees. But really, this just provides the process of weather modification processes and how they should be licensed, as well as clarifies any environmental reviews um, that must be conducted uh, when what a weather modification occurs. And then Senate Bill 40, which is will be heard in the House Natural Resources. Resources Committee um, is in regards to the invasive Montana Invasive Species Council. Uh, we heard this bill pretty early on in session and it's, it's come back, but really what it does is um, add the Department of Livestock as well as a representative from the Upper Columbia Conservation Commission to the current uh, Invasive Species Council that exists. Um, it's really important for us to have that Department of Livestock representative, which they had been a non-official member um, kind of currently, but this will be a, in an official capacity as they kind of oversee that feral hog component of invasive, invasive species. Yeah, so it'll be a busy week, as we mentioned once again. Um, this week, we do have the pleasure of inviting the new director of Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, Hank Warsek. Hank's been uh, previously worked for the department and um, had an opportunity to retire, but got talked into coming back. So welcome, uh, Director Warsek. All right. Welcome, everybody. Today, I'd like to introduce our next guest, the director of Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, Hank Warsek. Hank, you are one of the few agency directors that have been appointed within the agency, and you've been with FWP for a number of years, and so maybe we'll just kick things off by just sharing a little bit about yourself to our listeners and a little background about um, you within FWP. Sounds good. Well, first of all, I, uh, Jay and Rayleigh, I really appreciate this opportunity. Um, look forward to working with you guys in the future, working with stock growers. A little bit of my background is um, I grew up in northern Minnesota, and my brother had actually moved out to Montana in 1970, and he was 15 years older than I was. So whenever I had an opportunity, I'd come on and spend some time here. So I went and ended up going to the Marine Corps and traveled all over to the station in Washington, and I always drive through here to go back to Minnesota and decided when I got out, this is where I wanted to be. So I got discharged in 1990 after 10 years of being in. I messed my back up, so I got discharged, and this is a place I, I brought my family. No, no job, no prospects of jobs, anything. We just headed west and enjoyed it, and it's worked out really good for us. We, I wouldn't want to be any place else. And 
one of the things they taught us in the Marine Corps is when you go out into a different community, that you blend in with the community. You don't come in and try to make changes the way you think it should be. And I picked Montana because I love the way of life. I love the people here. And it's just been, it's the best move I ever made. And I really appreciate it. But when I got out here, I, I ended up getting a job uh, with Westco company for a little bit. And then I worked for the state fund as an insurance adjuster, as a claims adjuster for the state. Then uh, went to the board of outfitters from there. Did that for four years, three years. And from there, I went to Fish and Game. And I did that for 17 years. And Fish and Game, I was ahead of licensing. Uh, so I did all the drawings. You got people, everybody with magic, because they didn't get a tag, called me. I took care of all those issues when they're all upset and uh, talked them through it. And, and um, <clears throat> you know, and tried to focus on customer service the most I could on getting this stuff done. And, um, you know, and then I retired. I, I was a legislative liaison, too. I did that for probably five sessions up there working on that and building relationships with the legislature. That is, I think it paid back in dividends on this with, with me coming over here because they know who I am. And um, like I said, I, I retired then after the last session and um, I was enjoying life. I was actually should be in Arizona right now because a friend of mine down there and he's mad at me because I'm not down there with him and his wife. And, and I had this opportunity and I was told by a bunch of people to put in for it. So I did. And I thought they were just being nice to me. I didn't think I had a chance. And uh, lo and behold, after four interviews, I got the job. And I will tell you, um, I have probably asked the governor and his committee as many questions they asked me about what I was getting into. And uh, I got to say, I'm totally impressed with, with the governor and how he's putting the team together. You're going to see, a, I believe you're going to see a, a major change in the way we do business as a state. And, and a case in point with that is, is all his directors are working together as a team. It's a camaraderie I haven't seen in many, many years. I haven't seen it since I've been in the Marine Corps. That we have a team effect of getting things done and working with each other and relying on it. So one of the examples is uh, DNRC and I, uh, the director there and I are tied, really tight on this stuff. DQ, everybody. And we want our people to work together as well. You're all aware of the, the kind of the buttheading with different agencies in the past. I don't think you're going to see that in the future. I think it's moving away from that. And uh, just some good things going going forward. And and I look at this as an honor and a pleasure. And and his focuses are right in line with what I want to do. I mean, customer service, treat people with respect, do it the best we can for the state, take care of the resource. It's and I told everybody to me coming back to the department is like coming home. I love the department. I love what they do. And if I have an opportunity to make it better, I'm going to do that. And I. That's where I'm at on this thing. So it's, once again, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. And I look forward to working with people and meeting people. I had to come during this COVID thing. So this stuff is all strange to me. So, you know, doing these meetings, Zoom and doing all this stuff like that, I'm used to, and this is kind of nice because I could see you guys better, but I like sitting across from somebody, reading their body language and, you know, and being just upfront and honest with them. So I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to come out and meet people and, and wherever you need me to be, I've got an open door policy until I can't, until I'm too filled up. But I'll talk to anybody at any time. So that's well, you, kind of me in a nutshell. So, And you chatted a bit about you having a long history of building strong relationships across multiple stakeholders. So talk to us a little bit about your philosophy and what your vision is going to be about building stronger relationships between the agency and landowner, landowners. Well, thank you. That's a good point. That's one of the things I promised the, the governor when I took the job is I would work on relationship building. I think I've, I, 
I've been successful in that, very successful in the past, and I want to continue that success. And I understand, you know, I worked on the PLPW, worked with them, and that was really an eye-opener to see the different perspectives from landowners and sportsmen work together. And if you actually get this collaborative group together, things can happen, and things can happen for the right reason. What happens is there's a failure to communicate with people. They, they draw sidebars, they, they stay to the side, they don't really want to talk to the other side because I don't know if they're afraid of just moving forward or what. But it's just, it's, it's a weird thing that I think we can really get it off. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit later about a bill that we helped uh, uh, the Speaker of the House with. He asked us for some help and we'll, we'll talk about it in a little bit. But it's those type of things. I want to go out and see how do we bring people together? How do we do things? And then the other goal I, I want to have is I don't want to ever talk about elk with the legislature anymore. I want to take care, have us take care of it, and make sure we're doing a good job on it. So that's going to be one of the focuses too. Is is we're entrusted to manage the wildlife the best we can, and that's what we should be doing, and for the benefit of all Montanans, for the public trust. So that good answer. That help you, well, Director? Great, <laughs> Director. Yes, that's wonderful. One of the things you did mention is elk and. Um, that is a hot topic among many landowners across yes. Montana, and we do certainly have a very healthy population. And you did mention one of the bills that you're working on, House Bill 505, and and uh, certainly we were one that was invited to the table. But you met a you invited a lot of other stakeholders to the table, and and working with the the Speaker Galt on that. And maybe you could just go into a little bit of detail about kind of your philosophy on that bill and and how how that bill might work. Okay. So, Jay, I appreciate that because, like you said, you were one of the members there. And what I did is a little bit different approach. You're going to see this come out of this office different than we have in the past. We don't have constituents, one side of constituents versus another side of constituents. So what we do is we're all, you're all our constituents. So when we have a, an issue that's going to come up, we're going to try to fit people from opposite views together to discuss it. And that's what we did with this 505, because we knew if you just read the law or read the bill as written, you're going to jump to conclusions right away. And that's what people are doing after they read it. But we had a different approach. We brought a lot of different groups together, like stock growers. We brought Yupon. Uh, we brought um, Outfitters. We brought uh, Bow Hunters, Wildlife Federation, uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. It was a pretty diverse group. And what we did as a different approach is we had we explained what the bill, the intent was and what the bill was gonna do before anybody saw the language. So that way you have an understanding of what, because sometimes you read, you don't understand what we're trying to do here. And it's gonna be, still gonna be difficult on this. But we, we laid it out, what the, what the idea was, and that let people go back, read it, and then dissect it, and either fear they're gonna be for it or against it. But the premise of this bill is um, to bring landowners and sportsmen together and work on the, the objectives of elk. So this is an idea, and I'm gonna give the credit where it belongs. This is an idea that we talked about it in the office and Quentin Kujula, I, I'm sure a lot of you know Quentin Kujula. This was his idea to do something different and bring people, try to bring people together. And, um, and, and Representative Galt, Speaker Galt, had had a placeholder for basically just putting the shoulder seeds, and a little bit more than that, but putting the shoulder seeds into the statute. And we asked if we could work with them some, for some other ideas. So this is an idea we came up with and to help him. And it was based on if he liked it or not. And he did like it a lot. So when this is heard, we're going to speak about it. And Clinton's going to do the same thing again and explain what the bill does. But basically, 
the idea is to get elk an objective in a couple of different ways. So we're going to be able to have uh, a license for non-resident licenses because the residents can get a license. But landowners that are up at objective, and I believe it's over 640 acres, at objective with elk, they can get up to 10 landowner-sponsored licenses. So we currently have landowner-sponsored deer licenses. And we've been doing that for many, many years. You know, it's, so it's kind of the same concept. You have to hunt on the deeded land and only with that, you know, in that landowner's property for that license. So it's a restrictive license only on that property. So the idea is, is um, to get to objective, to be rewarded to get those licenses. The second part of it is, is an antlerless only option. This is other states have had earn a buck, different things called different things. But this is an antlerless only option. So you can get your general license. You can say, I want to have an antlerless only license. So you give up your ability to shoot a, a bull and you'll get this license. And in return for doing that, you'll get five bonus points. So this, the other part with this license is it's only valid on private land above objective. So what happens is then, from my perspective, we work with other groups and different things. So I think you're familiar with the one Montana and the master hunter group. So we talked about this, it's kind of in the back of my mind on this. So you've got all of a sudden, you got a master hunter that has opted to do this, and you got a couple friends with him. He goes and meets a landowner and says, okay, we want to hunt on your property. This is what we want to do. We want to harvest elk for you. We're not going to shoot bulls. We can't shoot bulls. We're going to shoot cows. And oh, by the way, if you want us to, we'll buy another bee tag if they're available in an area and shoot two cows for you. But we want to be not invasive by any stretch of the imagination. Just tell us where to hunt. We'll take care of ourselves. We'll do a good job and build that re relationship up. So hopefully those will help take the numbers down on elk in that area. And they'll be able to landowners use more of a trusted tool. And uh, like I said, then with the bonus points, the people that forgo that for a couple of years will build up bonus points where they can put in for a, a coveted tag and gain that, you know, have a better chance at it. So that's kind of a, a 30,000 foot look at it on what the intention was and what, what the, the things behind it are and the motivation behind it. So um, I've been all about trying to get people to talk to each other. And one of the other things kind of in line with this, I brought up my confirmation hearing is, I want to get a part of our hunter education, a part where you have landowner relations. And as a kid, as you're learning this stuff, or as an adult coming into state hunting, that you understand what, what it means to be a landowner, what they give up, and what it is that the stewards of the land, and how much how important they are, and be able to say thank you and ask permission, not be afraid to ask permission. And I mentioned that block management is a great tool, but it's, from my perspective, been a little bit detrimental to the landowner sports relations because you don't have to ask anymore in a lot of places. So people take the path of least resistance. So this, this is a tool to me to, to try to bring them together. And um, so we're, I hope it goes through. We're, we really want it to go through. I'm sure it'll be, it'll be amended somehow, but we wanted somewhere to start and get people off dead center. We don't want to continue doing it the way we've always done it. I mean, we're not going to gain anything by doing it the way we've always done it. Just more elk being born and more elk problems. So. Like I said, my, my goal is to never talk, discuss the elk again at the legislature, is that we can handle it here. So, yeah, Director, one, one of the things that I think we were most depressed about in that bill is it was just all incentive based. It, it was, we're going to try to reach a goal, we're going to try to reach objectives, but we're going to do it by providing incentives both to the landowner and both to the hunter. And I, 
I think that approach is just a, a real positive approach that I think is going to be met with a lot of, um, you know, success from both landowners and, and sportsmen. So we applaud your approach um, as you, as you drafted that. Well, I, I appreciate that, Jay. And like I said, I'm giving the credit to Quentin. And Quentin and I have worked together for a long time. He's got some great ideas. And that's the kind of stuff we want to do is, is bring this up for a win-win situation. You know, and, and, and one of the things with the quota, you know, we talk about being at, at uh, an objective. So one of the things we talked about when we were running this idea around is nothing means that the landowners can't be together and say, this objective is too low. We need to bring it up. That's another way of getting that number down. So it goes then more to tolerance. What is the tolerance in a hunting district, per se? That we got landowners talking amongst themselves and say, and I brought this up in the speaker a couple of sessions ago when he said, I think I'm 900% over objective. I said, yes, sir, but what would 100% look like? He goes, well, we can't go there because, you know, there's a demand now. People are used to doing this. They're used to seeing elk. There's, it's changed it. So do we look at what is the tolerance and what should that be? And then the commission can adjust that and say, okay, you guys have worked together to meet this, and now you get rewarded for doing that. So there's there's more incentives than it, than it just appears on the bill. So you mentioned the commission and I kind of want to hop on um, that thought process really quick. So um, there are a couple bills this session related to the FWP commission and its makeup. Uh, Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily want to talk about those bills specifically, but for many of our listeners, they might not um, completely understand or know what the role of the commission is, how they work, and how decisions are made between them and the agency. So can you kind of walk us through how that all works with the commission? Yes. So uh, real quick, I'll explain the trust doctrine. What the trust doctrine is, is how we manage. So what you have is trustees that manage for the wildlife. And the trustees are the legislature, the governor, and the, the commission. So they make the laws that we then as an agency implement and follow and enforce. So if it's like, and the legislature has already, has also given the commission the authority to have a commission. So they deal with things like season setting, um, you know, trap the regulations, all those things like that that are based on science-based that are brought forward. And they have, um, I believe it's like six meetings a, a year five or six meetings, depending on what the topics are. And we have the same thing at the, the board for the uh, parks board. So it's kind of the same scenario. They, they can they can give us direction on how to do things. And then we have the administrative part, which is responsible, I'm responsible for of uh, things that's just the day-to-day business and need to run the hiring and firing people and things like that. That falls under the under me and the, and the executive director or the executive executive branch. So the commission, uh, like I said, things are brought in front of the commission. They hear it. They do public comment. Then they make make a decision on it. Then we implement it. So one of the things that I'm going to expand on this too, and I'm working on it right now, is we have what they call CAC members in the in each region. That's a citizen advocacy uh, council, and they make recommendations to the department and the commission. So what I want to do is change that a little bit more have a standard makeup throughout the seven regions and we're working on the charter right now and have the membership and that that's where they would vet for example the season setting instead of having meetings around the state with biologists biologists and a small group of people from the department this would be <clears throat> have the meeting at the regional level 
for the region, you know, it's like, say, for example, they're working on the, the um, regulations for 2021. They would have the regulations out there. The, the uh, biology would make the recommendation. They would set it up just like a statute or a, a draft or a bill, underline it, cross it out, whatever they need to make the changes. That way, everybody's working off the same sheet of music. That would be sent out to the public to look at. They could follow along. They would have a meeting at the CAC. You could call in. So if I if in Glasgow and I hunt in Glasgow, I can come in and, and make my comments, public comments there and what they're doing. That then would be brought by the commissioner. It's just advisory. The commissioner and wildlife uh, manager would come to Helena and present that to the commission with their change. And the commission would make final decision. But that would work for all seven, seven uh, regions. And so actually the bills that are going through with the, the seven commissioners would benefit what we're trying to do with this. So, you know, for us, we're going to react any way we do this, uh, but actually having seven different commissioners in the seven regions would help this process. And like I said, it, we're going we're gonna to implement whatever happens. That's what we do. So, and we'll smile about it. So, that that answer your question? Okay. Yes, thank you. Just kind of switching gears a little bit. Um, yeah. Wanted to talk a little bit about your agency does some of the capture and elk testing around for brucellosis around the designated surveillance area. And then I also know that certainly uh, chronic wasting disease, uh, CWD, is also something that your agency has been spending a lot of time and effort on monitoring that. And wondering if you could maybe just provide us a couple of quick updates on, on those two issues on, on the disease front. Yeah, and I just I actually, um, I had Quentin just write me a quick note on that thing because I wanted to find out what was going on. So, um, Let's see. So basically, for brucellosis, we capture elk and test to work with the Department of Livestock and USDA to get this. This fall, we had captures in Region 7 and Region 3, uh, north of Logan um, and, and east of Tarleston. We had no positives in the initial testing for brucellosis on those areas. So that's that's a good thing. See, CWD is, um, we have some positives and, uh, you know, throughout the state. More of a focus on along or some uh, connecting samples right now along the high line, a little bit in uh, the western part. And we're moving around to see where, and with COVID, it kind of changed the way we did business last year. So it was harder to get that stuff out there. But we are we are looking into it. We're, we're checking it all out and all those things. And and uh, we'll keep you apprised of what happens with that. But personally, I just kind of wonder how much of this is as we start looking, we find stuff. So how long has it been here until we started looking for it? I don't know. But that's something we need to try to figure out as well. But we are going to be diligent on that. And uh, yeah, and I can I can get a map together and send it to you, Jay, of what, what it looks like for CWD to send out your membership. If you want to. Would that help? Yeah, that'd be wonderful. And that is, um, so on the positive side, you didn't, uh, or the positive note that you did not find any positives uh, on those elk brucellosis uh, tests on the edges of the DSA. So um, that's something that um, we like to hear that. We, <laughs> what are we? So we also wanted just to touch base with you on the red tape task force. And we've talked um, in our different podcasts with a variety of different directors on, and their plans for the red tape task force and how, um, you know, excessive regulation is going to be identified. So share with us a little bit about 
what that looks like for your agency and how you guys plan to implement um, reviewing red tape. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And that's one of the things that as soon as I started the governor, you know, obviously it's a big issue with that. And I, and I couldn't agree more. So just for example, case in point, we have, we have our rules in the books that point to a statute that was been repealed 15 years ago. So if you're somebody who tries to look through the arm rolls, it's not going to make any sense to you if you look at that. So the first thing we're going to do within the first, by June, is go through all of our arm rules and remove the arm rolls that are not necessary. So that's that'll just cut a way down on that part of it. <clears throat> the second thing is we're going to go through, if we need to look at arm rolls to see how much sense they make and do we have obstacles out there for people applying for like pond permits or different things that probably shouldn't be there. So we're gonna look at it from a customer service role. And what do we need to do to meet the law and not put any additional requirements on, on you know, because it's a nice thing to have. We're gonna look at what is a necessity to get the job done. So it's a little bit different approach on how to do these things. And, um, and as far as our regulations, our actually hunting and fishing regulations, I was working with that before I left. I'm trying to streamline them. So now that I get to come back and be in charge, we are gonna streamline them. And, uh, and we're going to make them make them a lot simpler. We're going to look at, you know, trying to make it so people can understand it. And it, it's all about the customer service, you know. And sometimes we we over-engineer certain hunting districts for some reasons that we probably may not, sh probably shouldn't be doing to that that much of a micro. So I'll look at all that and try to make it easier for people to follow along and take things into consideration when uh, when they're applying for licensing or hunting. You know, that's. That's what we do here, so we need to do it right. So, got to take care of that. Yeah. Well, Hank, I would like to once again just thank you for joining us, and uh, I would like to take the opportunity to uh, have you join us at our mid-year meeting or our convention, and uh, we'll certainly coordinate those efforts with you. But I think certainly the message you provided today, I think, is going to be uh, met with a lot of uh, positive. Uh, attitudes from landowners across the state. So we're certainly, um, there's so much interaction that happens between wildlife and landowners. And oh, we yeah. really do think that it's critically important to have that strong working relationship with the department and, and landowners. And we really look forward to, um, you know, continuing to work with you in the future. Yeah, Jake, yeah, I appreciate that because that's, that is going to be my focus. I mean, I, I understand and I respect the landowners. They're the stewards and and how do we work with this? And like I said, that's what that, that House Bill 505 is an attempt to try to bring people together. And we're going to be creative on these things and try to do more things like that and um, and help with the elk problem on landowners. Try to figure out better ways of doing that and being more responsive. So I'm, I'm looking forward to working with this group in the future. And I, um, like I said, I, I couldn't be happier. Well, I'd like to thank Director Warsak for joining us today. He does a great job. We really look forward to working with him in the future. We've already had an opportunity to, to set up potential meetings to meet on a regular basis with him as we work through some of these fish, wildlife, and parks issues. So we'd like to, uh, we really are looking forward to it. I think um, he'll do a great job in that position. And we'd like to thank you for joining us and listening today. Uh, make sure to subscribe to The Rancher's Voice. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. And always make sure to like, share, and comment on each episode. If you have questions for us, submit those to us at Kenny, K-E-N-I, at mtbeef.org. And we'd just like to thank you again for listening. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>